With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. It is May the 3rd, 2020. And in way of uh, a hopeful announcement, possibly um, we should be opening back up our assembly here in Coolidge on the uh, two weeks from today, uh, which I think is the... Uh, 17th or May 17th, <clears throat> which uh, goes past the the governor. The governor of Arizona has um, asked to stay closed up until the 15th of May. So after that point, I believe we will. I know many people are opening up, especially churches and things, but <clears throat> we need to remain this way due to um, our... Um, particular group is a little more susceptible to things than maybe some of the others. Mm -hmm. um, not that we're packed in here like sardines, 
I think we might be able to handle the social distancing or unsocial distancing. Um, but we will, uh, that is our plans. But plans can change. Nonetheless, these broadcasts on our Sunday morning lesson that has replaced our Thursday, and of course our, uh, our, our lesson on Sunday morning uh, during our service <clears throat> will continue to be broadcast on TalkShoe. We are so thankful for all those that are listening, and we wish you well. We pray that things are well with you this day. Um, this is our second episode concerning the Epistle of Jude, letters, or lessons, rather, from the Epistle of Jude, as I've entitled it. I read something uh, some time ago concerning Jude, and the, the phrase was, the book of Jude is, could be called the Acts of the Apostates. Now, of course, that's a play on words here. We have Acts of the Apostles, but this is the Acts of the Apostates because the Apostates are the subject matter of the Epistle of Jude. I think in in large part we could say mostly the group as known as the Nicolaitans. Uh, of course, there were other apostate groups, but they in particular, those are the ones the Lord is referring to in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And uh, of, of course, this being written just about in the same time period. In these Acts of the Apostates, the writings provide such a graphic description of these false teachers that plagued the first century A.D. assemblies that it's, it's hard to escape what's, uh, what's being said and the reason for it. Obviously, this was a very serious uh, threat. And not only that, it was a very strong movement promoted by very good speakers, uh, people that were obviously, some were believing. Of course, some of the reasons they believed these people is because it was a, really a temptation to live in the manner that they said was correct and still be in good, uh, good standing with, with God. And of course, this is where the problem is. They were teaching falsely. Today, as in the past, false teaching may start out as innocent error. We've seen it. We may have actually taught something innocently that wasn't quite uh, right ourselves. Hopefully we had a chance to correct it. But there is a point when this teaching becomes apostate, as it is known, in nature. In other words, the nature of it is apostate against Christ. Now, how do we know when this has occurred in our hearing? Well, it's just like everything else concerning the Word of God. When the words and the deeds and the spirit of the teaching does violence to the Word of God, the words of Christ Jesus himself and the apostles' doctrine, then we know. <clears throat> 
that this is apostate. Now, remember what it says in Jude 18. I love this passage. Uh, actually, it's... Um, uh, yeah, probably 17, uh, 17 and 18. Yeah, 17 and 18. But you, beloved, remember you the words which have been spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they said to you in the last times there shall be mockers walking after their own ungodly lusts. Now this, of course, is one more definition of the Nicolaitans and others that had departed the faith for their own, their own way, their ungodly lusts. That's Jude 17 and 18. Jude's a short book, but it has, it has a very heavy impact on the, 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 the fact that we need to remain faithful to the apostolic teaching, to the faith once delivered to the saints. 2,000 years have passed, but the faith is exactly as it always was. Jude, Jude's warning was timely for his day. That's obvious. But let us always be prepared to stand against such things these days in the days that we live in. Maybe the group doesn't call themselves uh, Nicolaitans or or um, uh, Gnostics, Neo-Gnostics, or whatever you, you want to fill in the blank. But they're, they're out there. They're broadcasting. They're being shown, and they're speaking as I speak at this very moment. But you see, the truth is ever-present ever-present, never-changing, and powerful because of its origin. And its origin is out of the throne of God. All that we have in the faith has come from heaven. None of it has been born of the wisdom of men, but on behalf of men. We just have to get that right. The foundation of the faith, once delivered, is not on shaky ground. It is on, on the source of solid ground, and that would be the throne of God. Jude, of course, believed this, and the faithful have always believed this. Well, as we continue on in the text, uh, last week we went over verses 1 through 4, along with a lot of historical mention. Um, now, I hope, here, I hope today that, uh, that everyone listening to this broadcast um, concerning Jude has, has listened to the first episode that was aired on April 26th, just one week ago. Um, we have various reports of how that came through uh, on uh, TalkShoe on the Internet. Um, and some thought it was uh, okay, and others, 
I think they missed quite a bit, but we're going to make sure and we're going to upload and have, I believe, a completed version that sounds a little better. But in that first episode, we gave some introductory information that I feel is needed in this study. As a matter of fact, I think it's needed in every study. Uh, but in this one, uh, is is nonetheless. Now, all of that should be on TalkShoe now. And we, we had some technical difficulties last week, and we know about it. And we're trying to solve that and keep that from happening. But you can always listen to it. You can always put it with this second lesson and do them together or whatever is necessary for you. I invite you to do so. But today, we're looking at uh, Jude. Um, we're going to go down through, I believe, the 16th verse. But the first two we're going to look at is Jude 5 and 6, which is remembrances of God's dealings with men and angels, men that are, their judgment is coming soon and men that their judgment has already came, angels, also in the same light, who have broken fellowship with him and his word. You see, that's, that's the rub. That's where the problem comes. Um, you can't be a saint of God and be out of fellowship, have, have living uh, not according to his word. But Jude 5 and 6 says this, and I'm reading from the American Standard Version in this lesson. Now, I desire to put you in remembrance, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. Now, let me talk about this first just a little. You see, this is things that they knew, they had known, they had heard it many times over and over. Um, they knew how the Lord had dealt with men, and how he had saved the covenant people, the Jewish people, from the land of Egypt. And he, then they adds the, the, the phrase that we never hear anybody teaching about, typically, and that is afterwards. In other words, after he had brought them out of Egypt, he destroyed them that believed not. Well, it was a kind of a long process, but after all the miracles that they had seen, including walking through a dry strip of ground that God had provided across the Red Sea, they had the temerity, many of them, to start doubting that God was going to take care of them. Started mumbling, complaining, on and on, to a point where all of the adult men that had left on that journey, save two, Joshua and Caleb, never reached the promised land. They were destroyed and scattered in the desert, if you will. Now, that should be enough for anyone to understand how things work. But let's read verse 6. And angels, that is the angels of God, that kept not their own principality, but left their proper habitation. He, that is God, 
hath kept in everlasting bonds under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. That, that the great day, of course, is the day of the Lord. It is the parousia of God's Messiah. And it is judgment time for all those that had become before to the covenant people of God in particular. So that was soon to be, as everyone knew at that time, just a matter of a very few years uh, at the, in, that, in that moment. Now, what do we learn here? First thing I see is God has always protected his people. He always does. Keeps his promises, as we've said many, many times. God keeps his promises. Both his promise of protection, of reward, and punishment. God keeps all of his promises. And... Those that he protects are those who trust him and believe his promises. See, once you fall from that group, uh, regardless of the Calvinist's uh, teaching today, uh, falling from the faith puts you in a place uh, in sometimes if you become apostate of no return. These things are predicated upon our actions towards our God, not previous uh, decisions made before we were born. Because we can't find that in the Bible, I simply reject it. Now God saved them from the Egyptians. He saved the Israelites, the sons of Abraham, uh, the sons of the patriarch, Jacob, and the 12 tribes. Um, they were all saved from the Egyptians, along with their wealth, their animals, and much of the wealth of, of uh, Egypt that was given to them as they were leaving. All of that left Egypt and was miraculously delivered into uh, the land of uh, uh, Arabia or Midia to be in particular. And they went on from there on their trek. Now how is it then that some doubted? Well, many did. But God destroyed them that believed not. Some very soon, some later, later on. How do we think that God will, will act any differently with any man or woman any time? I can't see that he would. So we shouldn't be living in any sort of misunderstanding. Faithlessness is, is a, a ticket to punishment uh, in, in, a, in a way that you probably can't even imagine. Jude is trying to impress this upon everyone that is reading this letter because this, if they follow these false teachers and false prophets, they will become 
part of this group that is punished. Now in AD 64 and 65, as when this, this epistle was written, the angels that are being spoken about here were held, as we know from Peter, in chains and dark places. Those that had rebelled against God, that had left their position to follow the, the, uh, the ways of, the, uh, of Satan himself, working against God, rebelling against God, and they were now kept in this place awaiting judgment. And of course, they had sinned in the past, but they were awaiting judgment, which was soon, very soon, to come their way along with Satan himself. And they were awaiting their, uh, their coming punishment. And it happened sometime within the time period, uh, our time period of AD 66 to 70, when this judgment occurred, uh, probably it could have been more towards the 70 side. And we find all of this concerning judgment in Revelation chapter 20 that we've referred to many times. Jude understood this. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, just a little comment I'll make here. Uh, we know that the book of uh, the, uh, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ that was compiled by the Apostle John and sent out to the churches, A.D. 62-63. You see, this was before Jude had written this letter, but it wasn't before the Apostle Paul spoke of these very things in First and Second Thessalonians, which was written many years before the Revelation. So have an understanding, if you will, that the apostles knew of these end things, these end times, this uh, parousia of the Christ, all that was coming. They did not know the, the month, the, the year, the date, but they knew of all of the things that were coming. They could describe them as the apostle Paul did. Why? How could Paul do this? Because the Lord told him that. He taught him as he taught the other apostles. They understood this. And, and they had an outstanding understanding of the scripture of their time. That's right. Da Daniel knew things that he didn't write about. That's right, that he couldn't write about. He was forbidden to write certain things because it was things that was, a, that was coming. Not, not soon, but was coming at a later time. And uh, that's what we find through scripture, but we don't find it just in a cursory look at it. We find it in a very studied lesson, a very studied look at the scriptures, and, and that's what we need to do. So it all comes back to the apostolic understanding. That's what the church needed, and the apostles taught these things, not giving dates and time, giving seasons and events. You see, we live in a time that we've had people predicting the so-called end of the world. Every year of my life, I've heard a new one. Of course, they're not occurring. Uh, lots of things start and end, and uh, there's always an excuse why it didn't happen. 
We don't need excuses for God. We don't need excuses for the scriptures. All that we have is true and accurate. So as we go on to the next two verses, which is Jude uh, 7 and 8, the, uh, the Nicolaitans, I, I believe that's the group, the primary group here, is compared to carnal sinners of days past. And that's the way these verses are written. We have history, and then we have current events. All right? And see if you pick this up in 7 and 8. Uh, we're also going to see it in, in uh, uh, 9 and 10. But it says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, having in like manner with these given themselves over to fornication and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the punishment of eternal fire. And then at verse 8, current events, yet in like manner, these also in their dreamings defile the flesh and set at naught dominion and rail at dignities. Okay, there, there's the last expression is dealing with the dominion of who? Dominion of the Lord. They were living in the, the kingdom of Christ at that time. And they were railing against the dignities of heaven, the host of heaven. That is those, or these, as it says, also in their dreaming. These false teachers promote, they promoted sins of the flesh amongst the believers. See, that's the grave situation here. Of course, as a matter of fact, some of these things were not even tolerable amongst the heathens that was being promoted here to those of the assembly. Jesus said he hated the Nicolaitans. Do you think that maybe, um, just maybe, we, we need to pick up our ears and make sure that we understand what is being said? False teachers, false prophets, they railed against God's heavenly hosts. Now these are things that even the archangels in times past had not dared to do. And we're going to read about an example here coming up. And the next one, verses 9 through 11, we're going to find the Nicolaitans compared to the true authorities from heaven, those that actually are the heavenly hosts, that actually speak for God from heaven and carry out his wishes. But what does Jude say here? And, of course, not only does Jude say this, but we find this also in Second Peter, don't we? Uh, these these occurrences. Verse 9, But Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, and that is the word for uh, devil there, the adversary or uh, Satan, he disputed about the body of Moses durst not bring against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. 
You see, Satan was interfering with the work of the archangel that God had sent him to deal with the body of Moses for God's own reasons and reasons that we don't need to worry about. We read the Old Testament, we found that it says God buried Moses. Now, did he do it with his own hands? No, he sent the archangel Michael. This, of course, is is known uh, Jewish by um, uh, their understanding, in their understanding, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Verse 10, but these, and these are the Nicolaitans, those of the present day, rail at whatever things they know not and what they understand naturally, like the creatures without reason. In these things, they are destroyed. Woe unto them, for they went the way of Cain and ran riotously in the air of Balaam for hire and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now in verse 9, the, the, the historicity of this account, this is not found in our scripture, but the historicity of the account need not be doubted because we don't find it in the Old Testament records. This is certainly an oral tradition amongst the Jews. They, they all knew of it. Um, even um, uh, Josephus writes of it in his commentary of the Old Testament written 2,000 years ago. Uh, this was something that they knew uh, as an oral tradition. Also, of course, the writings of Enoch that were writings, and very, very certainly from Enoch, but were not in part of the Jewish canon, but were known, of course. But remember where these words are coming from, and remember why they are in our scripture. So beyond this, beyond this idea of oral tradition or, or whatever, this is the inspired writing from the very breath of God, the Spirit of God, if you will. And it's also approved by the apostolic canonization that I spoke about last week. The apostles being aware of this and was approved. So the churches could accept it and hold it as approved from the apostles themselves. So this account being is, is true, but it's given in way of illustration, isn't it? An illustration of, of, the, uh, of the battle between God and, 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 the, and the will of Satan in those days, uh, those that would fight against God in any way. These teachers, these Nicolaitans and false teachers and prophets, of the first century were railing against the spiritual realm, criticizing things they did not understand or have any respect for they were speaking about. And of course, we, that's disastrous. But on top of that, they were carnal themselves. They were fleshly. They were sinful in their actions. They understood only naturally, in a natural way, the way of men. 
And they were proud of that. They were creatures without reason, Jude says. I wonder if that means you just couldn't reason with them, with the truth, once again. Remember, these were people that had departed the truth. In these things, the scripture says they were corrupted. Some of our Bibles say destroyed. And then the word following is this word, themselves. Now, the Greek I've looked at, this is in the middle voice, uh, meaning, of course, God did not make them this way from the beginning, and they were, they had to, uh, they were going to become apostate by the will of God. No, no, this is by their will. By their will. And I noticed on this version of the Greek, it, most of the, when, a lot of times when it's middle voice, they'll say passive, mm-hmm. which is um, the context won't allow this to become something done to them. The punishment, the destruction will be done to them. But the fact that they uh, went there with this was their actions, from their actions. Just as the idea of being beguiled in the New Testament by a false teacher, when you look at it, you'll find that you changed your mind from what they were teaching falsely from the truth that you had heard. Now, whose fault is that? That's your fault if you do it. Also, the Greek word there for corrupted is, means to cause to rot, become putrid. You see, that's, that, that's or, or, or uh, it's also could be called spots, or um, um, there's other words, spoiled uh, by the process, spoiled by their actions. They became putrid. In the in the uh, in the mind of God, because they had departed, they had departed the salvation. They had become apostate, and we find out more about that as we read on. So I think this again, this sort of understanding is where we run into a lot of misconception uh, about our personal responsibilities as Christians. To be, to be faithful. Um, if you're a Christian and you feel you have no uh, ability to remain faithful on your own, that it's all been predetermined, then you, you're, you have a real issue with your faith. I know you've been told that. We've all heard it, but it's not true. Or the whole concept of being apostate There wouldn't be any apostates. They would simply be Christians doing their own thing, or uh, that's just how they are. But even though they're speaking against Christ, even though they're leading others away from salvation, they're still going to heaven because they've been chosen ahead of time. Like men, any man would ever know that for sure. That's That's man's teaching. It's evil. It is indeed the worst virus that has ever come upon the earth. 
Let's read on because we have more of the same from Jude 12 through 16. And here he's, he gets a little more poetic in his writing. And we'll talk about some of these words. He's talking about the false teachers, the Nicolaitans. These, these are they who are hidden rocks in your love feast when they feast with you, shepherds that without fear feed themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn leaves without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by their roots, wild waves of the sea foaming out of their own shames, wandering stars from whom the blackness of darkness hath been reserved forever. And to these also Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones, By the way, that's the parousia he's speaking of. To execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their works of ungodliness which they have ungodly wrought and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs complainers, walking after the lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, showing respect of persons for the sake of advantage. You know, it's almost difficult reading those words to see the ability of man to become so apostate and so absolutely useless to the will of God and causing such troubles as, as was causing. Now, of course, because of God's great uh, promise being fulfilled here in the Messiah, in his Son, and now sin being removed by the blood of Christ in man's access to salvation... Satan is fighting a battle here for his very existence. He pulled out all the stops. And we have many people that were carried along by his will in these things. Now, some of these words I said are very poetic. This idea of hidden rocks in your love feast, um, that that concept in, in the language of the day was speaking about rocks that are just under the water. Uh, Think about the ocean. Think about uh, uh, getting close to the shoreline. And your ship runs aground on these rocks that you can't see. By the way, you see that word shipwreck? That's a word that's used many times in the New Testament denoting the fact that your faith can become shipwrecked. 
That's exactly what's being talking about here. They were shipwrecking the faith of the brethren by their actions. They were the hidden rocks that feasted with them, that sat and took communion with them. They were shepherds without fear. You see, any shepherd of the Lord's church has, has fear that he, uh, towards the Lord, because of the grave responsibility he has to feed his sheep, to take care of the saints, as the Lord has said. These were without fear because, well, they fed themselves also. That's the character of these people. I think many of them were in the place of leadership. Not all of them, of course, but many of them. As the Apostle Paul told the elders from Ephesus the last time he spoke to them, that this very thing was going to occur, that some of them would lead others away. Shepherds who care only for themselves, be aware of this. And then the other, the other speaking here, the other words, clouds, not bringing the needed rain, but just bringing dark clouds. Okay? They were weak. Uh, they car- carried along by winds. In other words, they weren't settled in themselves. They moved along with what every wind of... of uh, uh, False teaching there was. Autumn leaves without fruit. They were useless. You see, that's the idea of evil. When, when clouds, if clouds never rain, we could call them evil clouds because they need, they need to dispense the water to the land. They're not serving their purpose. These, these shepherds were not serving them, their purpose. Jude is pointing this out. And then we come to the point of being twice dead. This is something that you would never say lightly about anyone. Matter of fact, I couldn't say it at all. We can easily say that we're dead to our sins and we need a Savior, but twice dead and plucked up by the roots. You see, they were dead once, to sin and then they were made alive in Christ because of God's promise through the gospel but then as they became apostate to the Lord and spoke against the Lord and spoke against the gospel and spoke against the teaching of the apostles they were dead once more And if we read from Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, we find that the apostate has no place to return to. By the way, there's also no place for Calvinistic doctrine in this verse. Once saved, always saved. Is that right? Not according to the apostles. Not according to God himself. And as I said, when it comes to Calvinism, when one of their points becomes invalid, error and false, you'll find that each one of the rest of them all fall, these 
have the same death, if you will. Now, all of these similes here are in reference to the character of those who are apostate in the assembly of Jude's day and possibly later. But this was the condition that he was warning against. You see, at the beginning of this letter, he would have been so happy to just speak of the wonderful nature, the wonderful times in Christ, and the wonderful grace of God upon mankind. But wait, something was so wrong, something was so vile, that he needed to talk about it because he was afraid that it would send many away without hope. So he pulls out all the stops. He brings the the full vocabulary in, probably leaving nothing out. Brings up the idea of Enoch. Enoch, seventh from Adam. So we know that this is the first Enoch, all right? The one that we're talking about. He prophesied saying the things that we find the apostles teaching in the last days of the Jews. Verse 14 and 15 again. And to these also Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesying, saying, Behold, the Lord came with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their works of ungodliness, which they have ungodly wrought, and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, let's compare that to Second Thessalonians, chapter one, verses five through ten. All right. A token, the apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, a token of the righteous judgment of God, for your being counted worthy of the reign of God, for which also you suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to give back to those troubling you trouble, and to you who are troubled, rest with us in the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with messengers of his power, in flaming fire giving vengeance to those not knowing God and to those not obeying the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall suffer justice, destruction, uh, time without end, from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his strength, when he may come to be glorified in his saints and to be wondered at in all those believing, because our testimony was believed among you in that day. You see, that's, that's the Apostle Paul prophesying of this very same thing that Enoch was speaking of at, in, in many years before. Seventh from Adam, if you will. This was coming. And believe me, the adversary and his minions knew of the punishment that was at hand. Why do, why do we see such a struggle here? 
Like I said, this is this, these are the last days. This is a fierce battle for the hearts and souls of men. You know, this is Jude's warning and exhortation to the brethren. We have, we'll finish up uh, with the rest of the scripture next, next week, hopefully, and do some real comments on it. But he was doing this that it would be impossible not to recognize the false bro- the brothers and understand their punishment was not only near, but it was sure. Why was it sure? Because God's punishment in the past was sure. He had said it was uh, coming. He had said what it was going to be, and it came to pass each and every time, just as Enoch saw that when the Lord came from heaven, the parousia of Christ, he came with his angels to destroy everything that was not of God. Now, we're not talking about destroying a tree or a river here, are we? We're talking about destroying those things that are against God, those things that are evil and that have no godliness to them. Those are the things that were destroyed, as we know from Scripture. That's what Jude is talking about. We're out of time today, and we'll try to complete uh, his epistle next week. Hopefully we'll get the, uh, as much of impact as we can, because even though it was written to those 2,000 years ago, and much of it pertains to them and their time frame, From this, we can gain much faith, especially in how God deals with his people. And in that, we have much, much confidence. That builds our faith, for the sureness of God and his promises are real to everyone who has ever lived in faith. We say good day to you at this time. And we will be returning with our studies uh, in our morning uh, get-together soon. So we say good day. Thank you very much. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.